All right, this morning's message, um, I don't know what it is, but in order just to make a point, some messages you feel very comfortable preaching, and some messages you feel, boy, it, it's just so powerful, so awesome, so awestrucking that it's, it's impossible in words that I can come up with to, to like make that impact. So as if, as if man has something to, to put into this. So I'm just trusting the Spirit of God, trusting the Spirit of God that uh, just brings you back to remembrance or, or something maybe that God will want to straighten out today in your life. This morning's message is entitled, Beautiful Things. Beautiful things, and it comes from a song that I just stumbled across. And it's by Michael Gunger called Beautiful Things, and I thought it was some great new song revelation, but when I bounced it off my daughter, I think she told me that that's like four years old. But I, I just saw it, and we're going to share that with you later on in this service as we talk about how God can do these beautiful things. No one can do them like God can. Absolutely no one. Man can go out and make some beautiful things, make a beautiful house, a beautiful building, beautiful landscape, but it can't scratch the surface of how wonderful and beautiful God can do things. Revelations 21.1 says this, and this is what's going to happen for you and I who uh, lay hold of the word and do not turn back. It says, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. That which your house is on now, you think losing electric was bad? God says, I'm going to get rid of this whole earth. I'm going to give you a new heaven and a new earth. Brand new. God's into doing new things, new stuff. Listen, he really is. He loves to make things that are old, new. He says, and I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of the heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all the tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away." Look at verse 5, and he, and he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. He said, Put them down, ink and pen, so somebody thousands of years ago will be refreshed by them and tell the people again. God says, Behold, I make all things new. Brand new, fresh is what that word means. It also means recently made, unused, unworn, and fresh. I don't know if it has to do with just age that comes on a person that these scriptures really start making a, a lot more sense or have a lot more value to them. Just sometimes you get worn out in life. Sometimes you just get worn out in your walk, and God is saying to you and I, Man, just have faith in me, trust in me. I make things new all the time. Unused, unworn, fresh, recently made. I don't know about you, but sometimes, a lot of times, I'll sit in my office and just wish I could have a fresh start. Just a, a fresh start. Um, sometimes just wish I could start over. Because you like to, man, I would do this different, I would do that different, uh, I could see this, I could understand that. Even in your walk with God, 
I'm not just talking about in life in general. Man, if I had over to do, I'd go back to school. If I had over whatever, whatever it, it is. But a lot of times we as people, when we walk a certain length of time or a certain time of, of life, we look back and think, man, I certainly wish. A lot of times people say, I wish I'd have got saved when I was younger. I wish I'd understood this when my kids were younger. Brand new, a fresh start. And we wish for this fresh start because we usually end up making a mess of the first time we had. So we usually wish for this first start or eighth start or tenth start or twentieth start because we just want things to be made new and afresh again. Isaiah 61.1 says this, And the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek, He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives in the opening of prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. Listen, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes. Only God can do that. Beauty for ashes. It's amazing. It's beyond me how he does it, but he does it. The oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that he might be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Beauty for ashes. Beauty is like a like a, a headdress, an ornament, a beautiful diadem, or a crown. God will give you that as you give him your ashes. Your decisions you've made in life, uh, how far you have gone, whether you're 21, 51, 81, God will give you that crown, that headdress, that ornament, that beautiful life for your ash heap, for your decisions without Christ, for the decisions you made even in Christ that you didn't walk strong enough, you didn't walk constant enough, you just didn't go for it in God. God says, you give me that stuff and I will give you beauty for your ashes. The word ashes simply means worthlessness, valuelessness. <laughs> you guys that like to burn all through the winter and you get all those ashes, I don't, what do you do with them? <laughs> there's, there's nothing you can do. You can't really make nothing out of them. You can't do anything with them. You can't reprocess. They're just valueless. They're no good. And God says, I'll give you beauty for that no good. I'll give you beauty for that uh, valueless. Uh, stuff. I'll give you everything for that mess up. I mean, it's just, this is a me- And the greater, greatest miracle is America seems to be into like miracles. You know, we've got to have this miracle, that miracle. Wow, that, this, that, that. The greatest miracle is you when you stare in the mirror. You were lost, alienated from God. You were a bozo, a bum, worthless, no good, a pile of ashes, a useless lump of clay. You, you are. I hope you're not getting offended because that's what you are without God. And all of a sudden you say yes to the gospel and God does something unbelievable inside of you. You see different. You look different. You think different. You act different. You watch different things on TV. You walk different. Everything's different. Yet there's not one scar, not one operation, not one mess up. Oops, I'll try again on you. What a miracle it is. 
To this day, it's still an unbelievable miracle. Lots of times when I shake my face, I think, oh, man, I can't believe this. I really can't believe it, what God has done. And how did he do it? That's an unbelievable miracle. This, these ashes of, of no value, no purpose, no goal, no strength, no ability, and then you just turn them over to God, and he does this unbelievable stuff in you. What a miracle. And to our shame, we always overlook those great, great miracles. We just take them for granted. Yeah, you know, I'm saved. God tells us this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if man be in Christ, now remember, not in church, in Christ. It's a whole different thing. Tons of people go to church, but really aren't into God. This says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, the things of God, obedient to Christ, in the Word, lining up with the Word of God the best he can, God says, he's a new creature. You know why? Because the old guy wants nothing to do with that. The old guy wants nothing to do with Christ, nothing to do with lining up with the Word of God, nothing about living holy, living righteous, living pure, wants nothing to do with it. So when it really happens and you're in Christ and things change, God says, that's a new creature. That is, we live in a dispensation where people just add Christ to their life instead of Christ being their life. It's a, this is a big thing that's going on. Uh, just had a luncheon with a pastor the other day, and that's what he's bringing out. He says, man, what happened to those days? And when he was talking about when we were uh, new to the things of God, we just started throwing this out, throwing candy, that one, nothing to do with that. God told me no to this. I can't believe that. Now people just add God to their life, and they continue to keep all this stuff. Well, that's not a new creature. That's the same creature trying to still do the old things. But God says, you are a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. That's what your God does. New thing. And no one else can do it. You might be blue. You might be down. So some of you ladies get together and you go shopping. You buy new shoes, you buy new clothes, and you feel good for about the first time you wear them. And then you're like, the dudes, they might go out and buy big toys, you know, the big bow to hunt, the big gun, or the big car, or the big fast thing, or nicer clubs. And after a while, it's still the old yahoo driving the car. And so what we do, that's what we do. And we, instead of just simply coming to Christ, and God says, I'll make it brand new. Brand new. I love that. Mark 2, 21 says, No man also soweth a piece of new cloth on an old garment. That's what we do when we say, I'm just going to go get new clothes. You're putting it on the old, this old person. You know, or I'm just going to go get a bigger toy so a guy can feel, I don't know, younger. I don't know what they feel like. No man also soweth a piece of new cloth on an old garment, else the new piece that filleth it up take away from the old, and the rent is made worse. No man putteth a new wine into old bottles, else the new wine doth burst the bottles, and the wine is spilled, and the bottles will be marred, but new wine must be put into new bottles. And only God can do that. Only God can put his spirit of God inside, but it has to be a new bottle. You can't handle it in this old lifestyle. You just can't. It just doesn't mix. Romans 6, 6 says this, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, 
The old nature, the old man, the old ways, the old habits, the old thinking patterns, those are crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed. Henceforth, we should not serve sin. It is crucified, the sin nature in you. If you are not in Christ, the sin nature rules and reigns in your life, and you do what you want when you want. And don't you tell me anything about it. It rules in your life. But in a new person, God says, that's crucified. It's crucified and crucified. The definition, look at that word. I mean, it's, it's impossible. It's destroyed. It's destroyed its power. The sin nature that made me sin, compelled me sin, pushed me into sin, made me do it. It's been ruined. It's over. This is what the Word of God says. It's destroyed its power. Our old nature is destroyed. It has no power. God says, behold, I make all things new. That's what he says. That's what the Word is. We might not reflect this in our life, but I'm giving you the Word of God. That word destroyed, look what it means. To cause to cease. I don't have to sin. I'm not compelled to sin. Put an end to, do away with, annulled, abolished. It's all over. That sinful nature in all of us. It really is. So now what? Well, Romans 6.12 tells us this. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. That word reign means to be king. Look, God has broken this power, and now he tells you what to do. He's saying, Lenny, Alan, Jim, let not sin therefore reign in your body. He's telling them what to do. Don't let it be king in your body. Let me be king. So this is where you have to come in and, and do your part. God has done his part that no one can do. He crucified it. He killed it and destroyed the nature. He's made you brand new, spanking new from the cross through his blood. And now he's saying to you, okay, okay, now, David, let not sin therefore reign in your body. Don't let it be king in your body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Don't let that happen. Don't permit it. You are changed and brand new. Romans 6.13 says, goes on and tells us this, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Don't do it. Don't permit it. Don't let it happen. Because you're new. Instruments of righteousness under sin. But yield yourselves. There's a decision that you have to do. Lenny, Alan, Jim, they have to make a decision. Yield to this or yield to that. And then God says, don't do that. And so this is a decision we have to make. Yield yourself unto God as those that are alive from the dead, because we are. We're alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Yield means to, to stand beside or be near. So you have the sinful nature, you have what God wants to do in your life, and he's telling you to stand by one. And then he goes on and says, don't stand by that one. Stand by this one. That's your job. That's what you do. 2 Timothy 2.22 tells us four powerful words. Flee also youthful lusts. Flee. That means run from. Get away from it. 
Don't pet it. Don't put it in a corner. Run away. Escape. Flee. Vanish from it is what it means. Youthful lust. These are what the Word tells us to do. And lastly, Romans 6.14 simply says, For sin shall not have dominion over you. It's not your boss. But if sin is your boss, it's faked you out. It's pulled the wool over your eyes. It's as if you're chained and have a, a ball of chain on your hand and your hand handcuffed. God has set you free, but the enemy says, you're not. You're just a punk. You're just no good. You'll never be it. And you're still walking around like this. And God's saying, hey, don't let sin have dominion over you. Don't do it. A true Christian that has been changed by God cannot say, I couldn't help myself. That's a fib. Dominion means to exercise lordship over. God says, don't do this anymore. You're brand new. You say, I can't help myself. You're letting it rule over you. Domain, dominion over you. Now, so, all this great stuff that God has done and all this wonderful newness and stuff that done, but all of us have probably been saved long enough to realize that not many of us do permit sin. Many of us do permit sin to have dominion over our lives. If we just be real, real, we do. We understand what the Word says. We understand about being brand new. We understand about being in love with God. We understand about being transformed by the power of God. But sometimes just, I don't know what happens in this walk. We lose our spit. We lose our fire. We lose focus. We make crooked rows, and we start getting off the path with God, and we start ending up doing stuff that we never should be doing, and then it seems to be worse than ever. Worse than ever, because you know, you knew the righteous. You sat in the light, spoke the light, and you're like, huh, what am I doing? New King James says this in 2 Peter 2, 19. While, the pro while they promised them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. The enemy comes with very smooth doctrines and very smooth. Someone was talking to me about the emergent church and how smooth and how nice it feels and it's another trick from the enemy. It's another lie to undermine the solidness of the Word of God in you. So you start waffling and, and wavering where you were staunch and you were right here on the Word. Now you're over here, over here. After 20 years, you don't even know it. And this is okay and that's okay and this is all right. And churches are doing it and they're growing and they're growing and getting bigger and you think it's okay. It's not. It's not okay. So they come and they promise liberty. They themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. <gasps> it's okay to drink. No, it's not. It's okay to be homosexual. No, it's not. They themselves have been brought into corruption. They themselves have become a slave. Brothers and sisters and us that are trying to walk this holy holy walk, this, this whole thing has been rushing into the church. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also is he brought into this bondage. Again, we can be brought into bondage. You and I had this great deliverance. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. Listen, the latter end now is worse for them than the beginning. 
we become worse than the beginning when we first started out. Oh, Christ, yes. Worse. You become worse. When you become entangled, when God has made you fresh and brand new, you become worse. Look, look what else it says. Listen to this. For what, it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandments delivered to them. God said it would have been better for you never to have heard the truth. That's spooky. Because you know who's in that category? Me. You. You proclaim to know the truth? You're in that category. If you start turning from this, God said it would be better for you, Lenny, Allen, Jim. You never knew. That's spooky. Now, verse 22 says, but it has happened to them according to the true proverb. God says this stuff does happen. And if you have any length of walk in your Christianity, you could remember people who used to and now don't. And you can't tell them. You can't talk. You say, man, dude, what are you doing? What are you crazy? You can't, you can go like this and show them. Look, look what it says in Romans. What's the matter? What, look at this. And they no longer can grasp it. They have become enslaved. And they're going, it's not true. I don't believe that. So it says, a dog returns to its own vomit and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. Pig goes back to the mud. The dog to the vomit thing, have you ever seen that? I mean, I'm not into dogs, but I have had them. That's one of the reasons they're not really high on my list. Blah! And then it goes back and licks it all up. I'm like, what? And God uses that as a parallel to show you and I what we do. We spend our lives going, Blah! and God cleans us up and sets us on the rock. And next thing we know, we go back and lick it. And think, this is great. We're going, what are you doing? Look, what are you doing? And they don't see it. They don't see it. Spooky. Scary. And we can end up worse. Worse. Now look, the Bible says this, and I believe we fall into this. We're the ones that end up worse. Not the rank heathen who has never come to Christ. It's us. It's us. I, You know, for the lack of a no props. The, the rank heathen will be condemned and put in utter darkness and torment, and his uh, punishment will be like this. Depart from me. Then here I am who knew Christ, who walked with Christ, expounded on Christ, turned from it, went back to my vomit. My degree will be worse. It's, wor it's going to be worse. None of them are good. You understand? Don't say this is my goal. No, none of them are good. But this is what those that know and turn, that's, and that's where we are. Years ago, one of our marriage retreats, or maybe it was a sweetheart banquet, but it was years ago, we asked for pictures of your wedding. The majority of us that had our pictures still the majority of us that had pictures and turned them in, if not all, I don't really remember, it was too far ago, got married, not saved. Then we asked for current pictures. You know, here I was at 20, you're going, ooh. And here I am saved. 
there's an unbelievable noticeable difference. I might have more hair, been thinner and in better shape, but the face and the countenance and the eyes can't compare. Just a snapshot, a picture. Go find one unsaved. Look at it. And that's what happens. We look at these and the, the enemy then tells us, that's what you're like now. And you look at this picture and you're so disgusted with yourself. And the scriptures, it says, if the son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. And they seem to lose their impact because you're thinking of all the blunders after Christ, after you were made new, all the wrong turns. And some of them can be bad, heartbreaking. Some you might never get back. And so the scripture kind of sometimes just starts to, the other one in Galatians says, stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ had made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And you sit at home, you think of what you was and what you become. And then the enemy comes in and just literally tries to do a number on you. But I, want, I want you to see this video. This is where, listen, I didn't sit in my office saying, oh, man, this will be good for Doug. This will be good for Ed. This will be good. I was sitting in my office going, oh, thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Because it's good for me now, even now and again, all over again, fresh and anew. Thank you, God. Thank you that you're God in my life and that you will do this again because the enemy constantly with his Polaroid keeps telling me what I am, showing me what I am. And I believe it. It's going to be our oracle. If you're disgusted with how you look, how you feel, how you think, what you become, what you didn't mean to do, then you come down to this altar and God's going to take your picture. And he'll show you how he sees you. If you come and you give your life all over to God and say, God, I'm sorry about the gossip and the greed and the anger, whatever it is, just let God take your picture.